Well, good morning once again, and, and thank you for all of, all of you that are joining us on, online this morning as well. So great to see so many of you in, in the sanctuary this morning also. Thank you uh, very, very much. Uh, we're so glad that each and every one of you are here. Uh, before I, I begin the message, I want to mention uh, one very special thing uh, that's going to be taking place this coming Wednesday night, the 24th. Uh, we're going to be having a, a Pray for Tulsa night. Uh, we'll be doing this uh, live online, Facebook on, online, and, and uh, through our website, uh, all, all the various things that we use on Sunday mornings as well. We'll be joining together with some of the leadership from Antioch Church uh, and sharing this prayer time together. And so uh, please make it a point of joining with us uh, this coming Wednesday night at 7 p.m., this coming Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, for a very special evening of prayer. It won't last more than probably 45 minutes or so, so it's, uh, we're not asking you to, to pray all night. <laughs> um, and uh, so, again, we, we encourage you to join us for, for that time together. We appreciate the folks in Antioch that will be, uh, that are willing to, to come and, and join us here on that evening as we'll be broadcasting from, from the sanctuary that night. So, again, that's this Wednesday night, the 24th at 7 p.m., 7 p.m., well, we, we've been on a little break uh, from our study of the book of Philippians for the last couple of weeks as we've been focusing on uh, what's going on in our culture right now, this racial crisis that we have found ourselves in. And the first Sunday, a couple of Sundays ago, we, we talked about the theology of race, which just simply means what God has to say about it. Um, then last Sunday, we talked about racism or the belief of the superiority of a race. And what we, again, not, we define really the fact that the first Sunday, we realized the fact that God created one race, the human race, in His image for the purpose of relationship with Him and with one another. And so when we talk about racism, we're really talking about believing in the superiority of a skin color, of a skin color. And we focused in particularly last week on the, the matter of what's been described as shadow racism. And that is the fact that even though most all of us would say, well, I'm, I'm not a racist, but, that, but yet each one of us, probably all of us, I suspect, uh, have on occasions these uh, um, racist thoughts or feelings or responses, reactions that take place, and we hardly even realize even where they're coming from, almost sort of a semi-conscious response, a shadow racism. We talked about a number of examples of those. Well, today we're talking about the matter of civility, of civility, which just simply means civilized conduct. But before we do, I want us to look at some pictures, pictures that represent the end game of incivility. This first picture is a picture of what was called the Black Wall Street, a thriving area in the Greenwood, what we know as the Greenwood District of our city, the Black Wall Street. This next picture is the Black Wall Street on fire. 1921, we called it for the longest time the Tulsa Race Riots. The name was appropriately changed to the Tulsa Race Massacre just in the last couple of years. Happened 99 years ago over a period of about one and a half, two days, May 31st. And, and wait for me to call, this, this is fine, guys, but I'll call for the pictures, but through June 1st. Again, this next picture, churches also burned. This next picture... 
homes on fire. Over 1,200 homes were destroyed, and another 250 homes were looted. This next picture, 35, 35 square blocks were destroyed. This next picture, 91 businesses, 91 businesses destroyed. Now, I left the most disturbing pictures out because those are the pictures that also included pictures of some of the bodies, some of the dead bodies, some 300 individuals who were killed, is estimated, on those days. And by the way, I learned just this past last Sunday night in 60 Minutes presentation that they did on, the, on this issue, um, not a single, not a single insurance company honored any of the many claims that were submitted on the damage that was done. Civility. Civilized conduct. The loss of civility is on vivid display in, in so many aspects of our society right now, at every level of our society, at every level of leadership in our country. One sociologist described our culture currently as the argument culture. Again, this lack of civility vividly on display, particularly in social media, where it seems that any and every difference of opinion is quickly taken to the very lowest level of discourse possible. I mean, if anyone disagrees with you, it's not that the two of you just have a difference of opinion. All of a sudden, they become your enemy. People put on their war paint before going on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. As one commentator says, social media these days is more like a social street fight. Isn't that the truth? Without thinking, we'll take pot shots at anybody, even people that we should be supporting. Because we've lost any concern for how our words land and the impact that they have, who they hurt. And if we are going to accept the responsibility of being Jesus' eyes and hands and feet in this society to bring his hope into this world, then we as followers of Christ must, we must be willing to model that civility. We must lead the way in civility, particularly as we strive for racial reconciliation and unity. And once again, a big, big part of that responsibility begins with remembering the power of our words. Words that we not only audibly speak, but again, words that we also write. Words that we post. The book of Proverbs in the Bible has so much to say. I'm just going to give you a few examples. So much to say about how we use our words. Proverbs 18.21 says, this is from the message paraphrase, Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? <laughs> I mean, it's a very, very strong warning. The fact, but the fact that, again, our words can either kill or they can give life. They can either be poisonous or they can be fruitful. And notice there is no middle ground there, is it, in the mind of the writer of Proverbs. No middle ground. Most all the words we say to one another or about others are not neutral, are they? Proverbs gives us a number of other examples. Proverbs 12, verse 18, New Living Translation. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. 
Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 15.4, once again from the message paraphrase, kind words heal and help, cutting words wound and maim. Again, words, poisonous or fruitful, cutting and harsh or wise and healing, stirring up anger or gently deflecting anger, wounding or healing and helping, bringing division or bringing peace and reconciliation. We have to be so, so very careful. So very careful. It is far too easy to let our emotions get out of ahead of us and we end up giving in to our baser, in, baser instincts, our old sin nature, and the result are words that are not civil. Emails, texts, tweets, Facebook posts that only inflame, cut, and wound. Listen, before you hit the send button... <laughs> Before you hit the send button on any means of communication, ask yourself, what am I wanting to achieve here? What is my goal with what I'm about to say here? Do you want to cause more conflict, cause more anger? Or do you want to bring healing and get to the solution side of things? Especially ask yourself, this phrase has been around for a long time, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? If you're a follower of Christ, if, if you have placed your faith and trust in Him, you have His Spirit live within you, and so you will know the answer to that question if we just take time to ask it. Again, the key is stopping to ask before you send it. And also, I think it's critical to, to remember that w when we're texting or using emails or social media posting, all those things are, are forms of communication that are wide, wide open to being misinterpreted, aren't they? I mean, when you aren't looking into somebody's face or, or hearing the tone in their voice or observing their body language, it is far too easy to misinterpret motives and emotions and the intent of their words. And once again, once you've hit the send button, it's done. It's gone. You can't crawl out there somewhere in cyberspace and get it back. Well, what does the Bible say that the goal of our words should be? Ephesians 4.29, the Apostle Paul says, Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Just a few verses earlier in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul has been talking about unity and maturity in Christ. And he writes, beginning in verse 14, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You see, we can use the scriptures, we can use the words of God to essentially be a filter for our minds through which we put our words before we send them out there, a filter that can be used again. And that's sort of the part of the, part of the process of, of our mind being renewed in the, in the, in the, in the, in the process of, of experiencing God's word. And, and out, of those, out of that filter 
of God's Word. We can essentially come up with four great questions, four great questions that can be a specific filter through which you should run your words before you ever come close to hitting that send button or engaging in a difficult conversation. In fact, let's use this acronym, T-H-L-P, or what I'm going to call T-H, the L-P, lip, all right? The lip. T, is it true? H, is it helpful? L, is it loving? P, is it personal? Again, imagine a filter in your brain that's a, a grid composed of those four questions. So first, is it true? Is what I'm about to say true? Not sort of true? You know, not partially true? Not, I don't know, I think it's true. Well, not, you know, there's a rumor out there that this is true. And certainly not, I know this is not true, but I'm going to say it anyway. If it doesn't pass the truth test, don't say it. Just don't say it. Second, H, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Is what I'm about to say helpful? You see, even if it passes the truth test, does not necessarily mean that it's helpful. As I was putting this together, I, I remembered an old one of my favorite old Geico commercials. Remember this one? Uh, the, the announcer, you know, comes on the screen and, and he you know, proposes that question that he always did on those on those particular uh, series of commercials. He said, "Can Geico really save you fifteen percent on your car insurance?" And then he says, on this particular one, "Did Abe Lincoln tell the truth?" And then it goes to this, what looks like an old video of Mary Lincoln standing in front of a mirror, obviously has on a brand new dress, and she's trying to decide how it looks, and old Abe, honest Abe, comes walking, kind of strolling behind her a little bit. She turns around and sees him over, over his shoulder, and she asks him, honey, does, does this dress make my backside look big? <laughs> you remember this one? And, and old Abe kind of, kind of saunders back over a little bit and kind of, kind of looks, you know, checking out a little bit there, and, and, and then he kind of him all around for a moment, then he finally says, eh, maybe a little. <laughs> and, and then she storms off. <laughs> you know, it may be true, but not everything we say is helpful. You know, is it encouraging? Is it encouraging? I get a lot of true stuff out there can, deeply, can be deeply wounding, wounded. Is it encouraging? Is it going to build people up or is it going to tear people down? Is it going to bring healing? Is it going to be life-giving or is it going to be life-taking? Is it helpful? Well, here's the third. L. Is it loving? T-H, the <laughs> lip. L. Is it loving? This one's critical because obviously if you're wanting to be loving, then you're not going to say something that is not true. If you're going to be loving, you're not going to say something that is not going to be helpful. But at the same time, this also includes the, the manner with which we say things. Are you saying, are you speaking, are you writing with graciousness in your words? Or are you being judgmental or mean-spirited? We must ask, is it loving? And then fourth is P, is it personal? Friends, don't use social media to have a conversation with someone that should be taking place in private, that should be taking place in person. Don't use social media for that. Okay, 
That's the grid filter for our words. That's the lip, T-H-L-P. We lead the way in civility when we, are, when we carefully remember the power of our words. Another way is by being patient. Patient. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Be patient. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Galatians 5.22 tells us that one of the fruits of the Spirit, that is one of the strong pieces of evidence that Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of Christ lives in you and leads your life, is patience. Patience. Patience on the part of all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Week before last, I had about a two-hour conversation with a dear friend of mine who is a, a black pastor in our city. And we talked about a lot of things. And one of the questions I asked him, I said, what would you tell a white pastor to say to his congregation during this time? What would you tell a white pastor to say to his congregation during this time? Well, he paused for a few moments. He's a man of great wisdom. He paused for a few moments, and then he said, I'd tell them, be patient. Be patient. Now, I I, I had to let that sink in for a few moments before I understood. Because it was about that time that I was beginning to hear conversation among white friends about how they were starting to get tired of hearing about all this stuff. But at the same time, I was hearing from black friends that for the first time they could ever remember, it seemed like people were finally listening. Friends, blacks have been patient with whites for a long, long time. Let's be honest about it. Dr. H.D. McCarty, longtime pastor, white pastor of the great University Baptist Church in Fayetteville for a number of years, retired now, wrote recently an article just last week. He said, we are creating a more perfect union, but the pace has been agonizingly slow, especially for people of color who have suffered most. Many blacks know a guarded caution and trauma that whites just can't imagine. Now, here's an example of that. As I asked another black pastor friend here in town how the congregation was doing, this is what he said. He said, and this is early on in the midst of this crisis. He said, our people just aren't sure what or how much to say. They have been so hesitant to speak up in the past out of fear of being labeled or, or at work even being fired. Because that's what they've seen happen to friends in the past who did speak up. And we must be patient. We must be patient. White people need to be more patient about the use of the slogan, Black Lives Matter. Some of you are thinking, okay, you're going from preaching to politics now. (laughs) Well, just hear me out for a moment, would you? 
I admit when I first heard that slogan, when I, it started being used six, seven years ago, my initial reaction was, well, what do you mean? All lives matter. I, I, and I, and I, I get that. I, I preach that. All people matter. All lives matter to God. Well, think of it like this. If you own a home on a particular street, you would say that all houses on that street matter, right? But if one of the houses on your street catches on fire, are you going to ignore it or not respond to the specific need of that burning house merely on the basis that, well, all the houses on the street matter? Of course not. You're going to make sure that that fire is put out and that your neighbors are okay. Now, friends, obviously, some people try to politicize this statement much more than others. But let's set politics aside and hear the statement for what it's saying. It's saying, hey, our house is on fire right now. Please help us put out the fire. We have to be patient in all these things, in all these things. None of us want to see more violence or looting, but there are going to be more nonviolent protests. There will be more conversations, a lot more conversations to be had. In order for us to come up with solutions, there has to be. We cannot be impatient. We cannot get tired of hearing about it and try to just sweep it all back under the rug again. With Christ-like civility, we have, to be, we have to patiently let the process continue on in a positive way. You see, long-term solutions have to be found, but those kinds of solutions require great patience in order to be found. Because those issues are so, so very complicated. Think about this for a moment. Do you remember what Jesus did when there was confusion and conflict in the body of Christ, which at that time really just consisted of his 12 disciples who were following after him for the most part. You remember the, the, the night, his last night before he was crucified, they gathered together in an upper room and sharing in the Last Supper together. And the Gospels tell us that they, all of a sudden the disciples broke out in a big argument. <laughs> I mean, Christ, in, in, right in the midst of, of, of the greatest night of Christ's need, uh, greatest, uh, a night of his greatest need ever. And his disciples break out in, in, in conflict and argument about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I mean, they're still convinced that Jesus is going to kick out the Romans and set up his throne right then and there. Who's going to be the greatest among us? Remember how Jesus responded? What did he do? While they're bickering back and forth and arguing back and forth, I suspect they probably didn't even notice. Our Savior got up from the table, took off his outer garment, put a towel around his waist, took a basin of water, and started 
washing those dirty, stinky feet of each one of those disciples, including his betrayer Judas and his denier Peter. Every one of them. In other words, he served into that conflict. How do we serve into this conflict? By remembering the power of our words, by being patient. And one more thing, one more thing. We have to think of this as a body of Christ issue. As Paul compares the church to a human body, he writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And then verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Friends, there is a part of the body of Christ that is suffering right now. And we must suffer with it. We must suffer with it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give each and every one of us real clarity of heart and mind as to your perspective of all that's taking place in our country right now, all that's taking place in our very own community. Lord, may we embrace this whole idea of realizing that there's a part of our body, the body of Christ, that is suffering. Show us how we must suffer with it. Lord, let us remember the impact of our words. Carefully remember. And Lord, through the power of your Spirit, continue to give us more and more patience in the process. We ask, Lord, that ultimately that you would be honored and glorified in all that takes place. We ask this in Jesus' name. And as we ask it in Jesus' name, we ask that you would use us as his hands and feet and eyes to bring more hope, to bring more hope that is only found in him. Amen.